it's Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to some pretty awesome professionals and ask them all about how they use data to solve the world's problems. Basically, to highlight some really neat careers that you might not consider are data related. And also, we include some fun bits, of course, because we're all nerds here and we love to have fun. With us today, we have Maddie Brandt. How are you, Maddie? I'm doing great, thank you. <laughs> awesome, glad to have you on the show. Yeah, it's, I'm really uh, so happy that you you know reached out and that we got this set up despite our time zones being so far apart from one another. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to have you here. So we typically open up our uh, episodes by telling us a little bit about origin stories, comic book theme. And so can you let us know your background and how you got to where you are today in your career? Absolutely. Uh, I'll condense the first few years down to <laughs> a short part because that's not so interesting. Um, but I'm essentially 100% maple syrup. Uh, I'm born in Canada. And I moved to Switzerland uh, when I was 10. Uh, my mom remarried and my stepdad is half Swiss, half British. So very international family. Um, and after just a few short years here in Switzerland, we were off already again to Japan. And I actually spent all of my high school in Japan. So at very early age, I was exposed to a ton of different cultures, tons of different places. And I'm really, really grateful for that because it helped shape my worldview and give me like perspective on things. So I came back to Switzerland when I was 18 and I actually studied hospitality because I always wanted to know more about the food world. I've always been super passionate about food. You can't see it from the camera angle now, but I'm very passionate about food. Um, and I thought that's, that's a great way to do that is to, you know, study hospitality and see what that world is all about. Um, Four and a half years later with my degree, I kind of saw that I didn't want to go into the food industry itself. I wanted to stay somewhere in between food and tech. <laughs> and that was quite difficult at the time. So I graduated in, in 2010 and the opportunities for tech in the hospitality sector were pretty small at the time. So I decided to basically just make my way in tech and I ended up starting out in sort of generic technology position. And from there, I slowly worked my way into the data world because that was the thing that fascinated me the most. And so 10 years, 10 plus years later, I'm now super deeply entrenched in the data world, <laughs> um, but I'm entirely self-taught. And that I think is not unique in our field at all. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people who've crossed over from different industries and they're completely self-taught. Um, and we can definitely get into the whole data education topic later, because <laughs> that's a big one. So what is your title currently and your main responsibilities? So my official title is data analyst. Um, I work for a 30-ish person corporate startup. We are a digital health platform uh, for the Swiss market, basically trying to unify all of the different healthcare providers and services and everything under one app. Um, and together with my colleague, we are basically the two data people in the company. Um, due to my experience, though, my responsibilities extend far beyond just doing simple reportings. Um, I'm actually spearheading the entire initiative to basically really 
get the company instilled into business intelligence and really have a a solid workflow and processes for how people can ask questions, how we can answer those questions, how we can digest data properly from different sources, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that my unspoken title is probably closer to like a sort of head of data without having the managerial responsibilities, because that's not something I, I really want anyway. Mm -hmm. And you also have labeled yourself decision engineer. Can you go a little bit more into that and what that means? Yeah, so I used to, I used to basically ascribe to the belief that just providing an analysis isn't really useful. Um, but I really struggled to communicate that towards everyone um, in the simple way that a job title does. And I used to use basically sort of from the startup world, I would use like the startup pitch mentality to pitch myself to people when I would introduce myself. Mm -hmm. But I realized that I needed also a short form. So I started with full stack analyst. Okay. And that actually comes from the tech world, right? Where you've got developers who can do both front end and back end, right? Technologies. And the myth of the full stack uh, developer is also <laughs> quite its own myth, right? Because they're both very challenging fields. And I think that challenge was also seen on the data side. Like when people heard that, they're like, but what does that really mean? Like, I don't really understand the impact of that. And so I basically started looking into more recently within the last year or so, the field of decision science. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a few people in the space of the data space who've been very instrumental in kind of spearheading that term. Um, Cassie, who, who is, you know, lead of, of decision science at Google has been very big in that. And I think that perfectly encompasses actually what my role is. I am a T-shaped person. I'm very broad, so I can do everything from coding to working with stakeholders, but I'm able to go very deep on, on topics as well. And mm -hmm. so, and, and, and for me, it comes down to being able to make a decision. And so mm -hmm. that's why I chose the title decision engineer as my sort of de facto title. When I introduce myself to people, I always call myself decision engineer. I love that. And I love the call out to the uh, T shape. Uh, have you heard of the comb shape? There's different, there's all kinds of different shapes that I started. I started going down a rabbit hole and I was like, oh, there's different shapes. Cause I always called out to a T shape too, because I consider myself overall a generalist, but I can deep dive. Right. But I like to deep dive in different areas. So I'm more considered to be a comb. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. So the comb, not so relevant for me at the moment with my short hairstyle, but, um, Comb. That's very interesting. So basically it's an expansion of the T in the sense yes. that you're able to go into different, different things that are somewhat related, but not super close to each other. Is that yep. right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I could describe myself as a comb probably because I do a lot of programming. I build like little websites as well and, and, and things like that to solve like specific problems that I have that aren't necessarily data related, but they're kind of adjacent data adjacent. Well, I feel the fun bits coming on. So let's transition into our fun bit section. <laughs> so as we talked about a little bit of data labels, um, you also label yourself as someone that makes data taste better. And I've always wanted to ask and discuss this with you. What exactly does that mean? I know you started out in hospitality, have a love for food, but how do you make data taste better? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's um, a tagline that works really well to catch people's <laughs> attention. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, I mean, we have basically access to unprecedented amounts of data about everything. And the key here is being able to seek out the message. What are we trying to extract from that? And how do you communicate that? And for me, that comes down to a process called digestibility. Um, it's the same thing as with when you eat, you do not put the entire steak in your mouth at the same time uh, because it's just not going to be very digestible. Um, let's leave out the hot dog eating competitions. Okay, okay. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, in general, we try to, like with food, we try to find our way through a certain path so that we can discover the insight naturally and organically so that it clicks in our head, right? And that's basically what data storytelling is about. It's about creating a digestible format for people that is also tailored to them. And also this comes from the food world. We tailor our dishes to the audience, which you should also be doing in data storytelling. When we think about a restaurant, a restaurant doesn't actually serve 30 of the same dish. They serve maybe 10 of the same dish with 20 different variations because someone asked for salad instead of fries. Someone asked for no onion. Someone asked for no lettuce. And you have to consider those requirements when you are also in the data space, when you're communicating with stakeholders, you have to know your audience. And so basically my job is understanding my audience to the extent mm -hmm. that I can make the data as digestible for them as possible so that they naturally and more, let's say organically as possible, get to the same insight that I did and that we can use that to inform some kind of decision. I absolutely love that analogy. Um, and everybody eats, so it's very relatable and you understand it. <laughs> everybody does eat, yes. In various amounts. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's a whole there's a whole like because we're in the fun section, right? There's a whole like rabbit hole you can go down of like, what does it mean if someone is starting to, to be obese? That means they're requesting a ton of data that they probably don't need. You're just churning out reports <laughs> to that person and they're consuming, mm -hmm. consuming, consuming, but they're not really making efficient use of the data. Um, so there's a whole like rabbit hole of like food terms you can use in the data space as well. Yes. Data quality, like the quality of the ingredients. Absolutely. Oh Knowing the origin of where the ingredients come from is basically data lineage. Uh, I mean, the, the parallels are incredible, to be honest. Yeah. Yes. Do you have any um, blogs or articles that deep dive more into that? I will be very honest with you. I actually detest writing. <laughs> okay. I've tried it in the past. I've tried it in the past and I've never been able to really commit to writing. So okay. I've, I've basically now adopted the video format as my favorite medium. Um, with, you know, the live streaming and the YouTube, uh, channel being my main forms of that. Uh, I do smaller videos here and there, like we were doing today, like a little podcast and things like that, but I very rarely write anything. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll have to create a blog post and inspiration of Maddie. <laughs> that would be great. I, yes. I'll, absolutely. It's not trademarked or anything. It's okay. totally free to use. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> now, you mentioned a little bit about live streaming, and that's your preferred mode of sharing knowledge with others. Can you go a little bit more into what, what you do in that respect? 
Absolutely. Um, so I, I live stream on Twitch. Most people know Twitch as a gaming platform, uh, but actually Twitch has diversified itself a lot in the last three to four years, especially during the pandemic, um, which is when I started live streaming. So at the end of, end of December 2020, I basically started live streaming. The reason I started streaming uh, is twofold. One, I've always been a huge proponent of data education because the education system for data is broken, in my opinion. Um, it is completely lagging behind reality. There are no real diverse options for people who come from different backgrounds who can't afford formal education. Um, the material itself is not only outdated, but it also is based on principles that maybe no longer apply. It just, the whole system is basically just not right for someone who is in the space today. Like if you wanted to transition from, I don't know, UX into data, it would be very hard for you to do that with a kind of traditional formal education thing. So I've always tried to do my bit for that. And I've done that over the years in various ways. Uh, we host events here in Switzerland under the, the umbrella of Analytics Camp, which is a, a nonprofit organization. Uh, I mentor people, but I always felt I wasn't having a big enough impact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I think doing a live stream could have impact. Even if it's only just for one person per stream, it's going to be out there. It's going to live mm -hmm. forever. Thousands mm -hmm. of people t potentially could see that stuff. Um, so that was the big driver of that. And the other driver was, I love to mess around with stuff. I love to try things out. I love to just, you know, as they say, you know, F around and see what happens. And yes. <laughs> that's, that's basically the motto of most of my streams, um, where we try stuff out. We see where we get to and we learn in the process and that's the journey for me is doing that. So what is the agenda? You usually pick a project and it's kind of just live watching and, you know, you sharing your progress through the project. Yes. Um, I would say most of the streams revolve around solving some kind of a problem. Um, mm -hmm. whether I'm building the product in order to solve the problem. So I do some coding, like I build a small website for it, or I take a data set and I start analyzing the data set and looking for things that interest us. Uh, we were looking at a rideshare data set from, from Google. Uh, th there's a public data set from Google for like ride sharing. We were looking at, you know, is there like, how, how are bikes being utilized and are there stations that they could get rid of? And, you know, like this classic, like data analysis process, um, showing people how to do things, obviously, cause I'm doing everything live. People can ask questions. Um, there are a couple of projects that accompany me over multiple streams or even multiple years at this point that are uh, a lot larger. Mm -hmm. So we sort of chip away at those as well. Um, and then I also have a news segment. So every two weeks on Friday, I do, uh, so I normally stream Monday, Thursday, and then this every two weeks on Friday evening, we have a news segment called the data cafe. And there we go through all the different news articles and information that's happened in the past couple of weeks in the data and tech space. Um, and we, you know, we just, we discuss about various topics. We discuss mm -hmm. about privacy. We discuss about ethics. We talk about AI, we talk about, um, funding, we talk about hardware, like basically everything revolving sort of with a sort of central data theme. Yeah. That's really cool. 
<laughs> what are your favorite projects or problems to solve? Uh, at the moment, I'm kind of obsessed with solving problems for streamers. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that happened, but um, <laughs> that just came about that way. Um, so one of the big projects I've been working on over the years has been uh, just in numbers. So if you don't know, the name is a bit of a throwback to Twitch's early days, where it was actually founded by a guy named Justin. It was called Justin TV. Um, and so I uh, named my project in honor of that. Uh, Justin Numbers is a product for streamers to better understand what is happening on their live stream in real time. Because all the reporting engines that you have at your availability are all post stream. So you only get the analysis once the stream has ended. Oh. Um, and I've always been interested in the real time aspect of informing you about major changes during your stream. Mm. Um, Due to some recent changes with, uh, well, with Twitch's APIs and due to also kind of the scope of the project, I decided to de-scope it a lot. Um, and actually more recently, I'm going to be focusing it on one particular area. Um, I'm going to be offering something that doesn't exist yet in the market, which is around the use of channel point. As you watch on Twitch, you accumulate these points and you don't actually have any information from Twitch about who has how many points, mm -hmm. um, what they've been spent on in the past, because you, you control all the redemptions. You can create something to wear a funny hat. You can have people change your lights. You can have people uh, make you do 20 push-ups. Like it's totally <laughs> under your control what okay. they are, but there isn't any reporting about how they're used. Like maybe the redemptions are too expensive for people. Maybe they're too cheap. And so, Actually, I want to create a dashboard that shows on the one hand, like a kind of leaderboard for you. So you could see like who in the community is redeeming what types of redemptions and also like how many points do you think are in the community that aren't being spent yet, like in the community wallet. And that's kind of the focus on what I'm going to be doing the next couple of months, years. I don't know how long it will take. Wow. Yeah. That's very interesting. I'm learning yeah. so much. <laughs> that's awesome so this is also like, like this is a little bit similar to our live stream then because mm -hmm. basically people ask questions and i try and answer those questions while we do something as well yeah 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 um i love that yeah. format <laughs> you should Speaking... also maybe start live streaming i should yeah i'll have to look into it i have so many things on my to-do list <laughs> My Trello board is full. Yours probably as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling. Speaking of learning new things, how do you go about learning new topics? This is a great guy. Actually, it's a really good question. Um, I was forced to think about this recently um, because I also got the feeling that I was lagging. Um, again, so every so often I get this kind of mental urge of like, I'm getting too comfortable. I'm not, ah. you know, stretching my brain enough and, and being self-taught, this is kind of the methodology that I've adopted the last, I don't know, 10 years or something is basically my brain gets tickled somewhere by something I see. And I'm like, I wonder if I can do that too. And I go down like a research hole 
-hmm. for several hours at a time. I'll maybe do a couple blocks of that. I'll read articles. I'll maybe even write a little bit of code to see what things do. Um, I mostly program in SQL, but I'm, you know, I dabble in other languages too, just to, I'll stretch my brain, obviously. And then at some point I'll try and apply it because I'm a practical learner. I'm not a theoretical learner. So I'm, I can pick up a lot of information by reading, but in order to really understand something, I have to do it, which is, comes back to the whole live streaming thing. It's, it's kind of like necessary for me to even learn and grow as a person to live stream, because mm -hmm. if I didn't stream, would I spend those hours doing those things? I mean, I'm committing 10 to 12 hours a week with live streams. Mm -hmm. Would I commit 10 to 12 hours a week learning if I wasn't streaming? Probably not. So this keeps me accountable. So that I would say it's a combination of, of that. And I do, I do go to conferences. I'm going to a conference this weekend. Um, I am more of the unconference type person. So I don't know if you've heard of that format where people basically just show up and then the agenda forms itself. People put cards on the board of stuff they want to talk about, or they have prepared a presentation about, and then it just happens. Interesting. Yeah. Exactly. So the big one, the big one, uh, which has been, well, it's already quite old, actually. I think it's eight years old. It's called measure camp. Um, mm -hmm. it's a similar format we do with analytics camp is basically all over the world. They had a lot of online events during the pandemic and now a lot more in-person events. So the one I'm going to on the weekend is in Munich and, um, yeah, that's basically how it works. You, you spend like the first 30 minutes, just sort of chatting to people and like, you know, the, the normal conference thing. And then there's this huge board. And basically if something interests you or you want to talk about something, you just put a, put a card on there and then people show up. And if they don't like it after 10 minutes, they just go to another room. There's usually like three or four at the same time. What type of venues, um, are these hosted at? <laughs> I, I like this question. I was hesitant to say what the venue was this time. Um, <laughs> all over the place. I mean, typically it's like meeting, meeting space type stuff, but yeah. measure camp has gotten super creative. So this is actually at, um, the soccer team or football team for non-Americans, uh, FC Bayern. So the very big team from Munich, it's actually in their stadium. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a, it's a cool venue. I'm not a football person at all, but I still think it's a very cool venue. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, 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 it's always like, a bit different depending on the city's opportunities and, and also cost, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's much funner than what I was envisioning in my head. Cause you mentioned rooms. So I was like, are you in like a hotel with different, like in their conference section, or maybe like you rent out a school during the weekend. So you have different classrooms, but that sounds. I don't think I've ever been to one at a school. I don't even know if there's ever been one at a school, but that's an interesting idea too. I guess um, rooms in the sense of more like spaces. Like okay. um, when we hosted a, an event uh, a couple of years back, we had um, a space from a company and they had one meeting room and then the other rooms were kind of just sort of weird spaces within the building that they just gave us that were not too noisy. So like five or six people could just sit there and discuss things. And, um, we've also been to, um, so Swiss, the airline also hosted an event and they had this 
ginormous room that was built for workshops. And so there were all these like moving walls and bean bags and all kinds of stuff. So we got super creative and we divided the room into like different sections. So it really depends on what's available. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I use something meetup.com that does something similar to that. They typically have an agenda and a presenter come in, but it is, you start out with, you know, just the group networking type thing. And then the presenter gives their spiel. Yeah. I mean, there are classic presentations in that format too. So this weekend mm -hmm. I'll be giving a presentation as well. Oh, that's um, awesome. but a lot of people just have discussions and the, the formats are completely open. I mean, the last measure camp I went to earlier this year, someone, um, wrote a song about analytics. So, okay. you know, <laughs> you, you can have everything. And I've also been to, uh, a few years ago, I've been to a session where, um, it was a sock puppet show. So, oh, wow. Yeah, whatever floats your boat, really. And I think that's the kind of, that's the nice thing about this type of event is we, we get all these different formats. And if you think, if you're interested in the topic, then you'll just go and see for yourself. That sounds very creative. I'll have to go in. If I ever went in, I'll do a dance. So. <laughs> what would your, what topic would your dance be about? Um, just general data. I did one, um, I did a video where I was giving uh, advice on how to boost your resume, like what to include on your resume. So dressed in a suit, doing mm -hmm. a little dance. Um, and then I did a data dance with Tianke Fang. Um, if oh, you know yeah. He is. Yeah. Yes. So he's, he's the musician guy. And so we did a data dance collab. <laughs> That's awesome. How have I not seen that? That's strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I need to go watch this. Yeah. You'll have to go check it out. It was really fun. <laughs> what are you presenting on this weekend? Um, so I'm actually giving, I'm giving a training next week. Um, the training is, uh, called from numbers to knowledge. Um, and basically it's a, a live interactive training on how to go basically the process that I use for decision-making, um, with stakeholders. So this whole decision engineering, um, very focused on SQL, but, um, kind of thinking about using SQL in the context of answering a question and not just exploratory data analysis. Okay. So the, I'm doing like a sort of soft version <laughs> this weekend to get feedback on the slides and not the interactive part. Um, to see what people think, if it's understandable. And I'm using that as a sort of um, chance for feedback, which is, I, it's great that that opportunity exists. Let's be honest. I think it's great that you can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you going to give a survey or something at the end or how are you going to collect that feedback? So actually people do are pretty liberal with coming up to you afterwards and talking about it, but I'm going to be building in a live, a live survey as well. I'll probably use, um, Mentimeter. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. It's a, a site that allows you to live poll and ask questions um, okay. to the audience. And, um, I've used it on stream before. It's quite good. And, um, for live presentations, it's great. People just take out their phone, they put in the code and then they can basically choose an answer. So after okay. like, after like a section in the presentation, I'll be like, rate your understanding of this section or something like that. And I'll, obviously the rating won't just be zero to five. It'll have to be something meme me 
because I don't do things just standard. <laughs> It'll be like <laughs> maybe five different meme images or something. Yeah. I like exactly. that idea. I am familiar. I'm familiar with one called Kahoot. Same deal. Oh, yeah. People have their yeah. phones and enter. Yeah, the... that's uh, I think Kahoot.it, right? It's like, mm -hmm. a, yeah, exactly. Yes. I still, I remember you, the, the big one I've seen on there was big data or Pokemon is a quiz that you can do <gasps> yes. to guess whether it's a big data tool or Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> and I was ashamed at how many I got wrong. Oh no. Yeah. Are you a Pokemon fan? I was, well, I played Pokemon growing up, um, okay. for sure. I mean, I'm born in 87, so it's like my generation. Yeah. But uh, I was kind of ashamed of, of that because I didn't really keep up with like the new Pokemon. So there were some names in there. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a Pokemon. And it wasn't. So, yeah. Were you into the Pokemon Go when that came out? You know, I tried it out. Um, the scene here in Switzerland was pretty small compared to other places. Oh. Um, and also like here, there's like a ton of private property. So sometimes you would be in a bit of a weird situation, um, where there's like a Pokemon on the side of like another fence or something. Cause I, okay. I don't know, like the way that they use their algorithm maybe was a bit strange for Switzerland, but I could never really just get behind that kind of, uh, interaction. It, it just mm -hmm. felt a bit odd for me. Like, I would have liked it if we had an actual Pokeball, and then we throw the actual Pokeball, and ah. then if we miss, then we have to go collect it. Or I don't know, like, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I do like the physical games a bit better, but I, I was into it. It was it was a blast here in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, in the US, I can imagine like with, you know, you there's like a shop and then the Pokemon's in the shop and then mm -hmm. three people show up at the shop door and they're like, they're, excuse me, like there's a Pokemon in your shop. Can we come in and try and catch it? And the owner's mm -hmm. just like standing there like, what do you mean Pokemon in my shop? And they don't <laughs> understand. Like that, I can totally imagine that being pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, with that, that was amazing. Um, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Do you have any final words of encouragement or recommendations for the listeners? So because most of you who are watching, I'm going to guess that 99% of you have never been on Twitch before, I would say go on Twitch, not necessarily to watch my stream, but go on Twitch and find all the amazing tech streamers on there because there's people making robots, there's people doing art, there's people um, programming, and there's just so many talented people on there that the world doesn't know about. And I think they deserve to be known. They deserve to be recognized for doing something that is incredibly difficult. Live coding is one of the most difficult things you can do. Um, it's just incredibly challenging. And some people do it with having 2000 people watching them at a time. So that's, that's really, that's really something. Um, so that would be my, my takeaway. And yeah, um, you can find or follow if you want to find everything about me is just my website is maddie2.shoes. And yes, I actually bought the shoes domain because <laughs> I used to have the .com and then my chat told me live they told me hey did you know that there's a shoes domain i was like you're kidding <laughs> i didn't That's know perfect so i bought i bought the shoes domain for my <laughs> website yeah <laughs> i love that yeah 
it's quite a chuckle. And the thing is that, um, some, some like places where you write the website in don't recognize it as a uh -huh. real website because they have like an outdated definition. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's very funny. Yeah. Usually gets a chuckle out of people. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, you know where to follow Maddie if you have any questions. And thank you again so much for coming on the show. It was really awesome just learning about this new Twitch live streaming stuff. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And as always, folks, happy learning.